I'll begin with a little bit of a story. You guys are maybe familiar with Jason. He's another pastor here at our church. And uh, one time, uh, many years ago, probably 2016, I was meeting Jason. And at the time, he's the lead pastor of one of the largest churches in Wisconsin. But I was meeting with him because I was having tremendous difficulties with uh, our other pastor at the time, an executive pastor. And tremendous difficulties, just our, our personalities didn't work well. We didn't have great chemistry at all. Um, the only thing that we were really good at was making each other mad. I mean, and it, was, it, just, it was so natural for us to do it. And so it, was a, it wasn't a healthy relationship by any means. Um, but at the same time, I, I, was, I was, I am the lead pastor of this church. And so I felt like the responsibility to make this right is ultimately on me to figure out if there is way forward. And if there's not, then the responsibility on me to make that known is, is also mine. And so I was meeting with Jason and Jason, uh, already had been praying for me for our church plant long before we even had hired this other pastor. And, um, we had, were regularly getting together about once a month. I would drive to Milwaukee to hang out with him for an hour. So he's listening and, um, we're meeting at Starbucks and we're, we're having coffee and he's just asking questions about like, you know, you're stressed out. I can tell that like what's going on. We're talking. And one of the things that just kind of came up and I didn't, I guess at the time I didn't realize it was stressing me out, but, um, I had mentioned just early on in the conversation with Jason that, uh, Oliver who had just been born the December before, and it, this is July, it was hot. And in our apartment, we only had one wall unit. It was in the living room. And so his bedroom was getting really hot at night and we were sleep training him because he was about six, seven months old. And so in our house, that's when you get evicted out of the master bedroom six months old. And so we were training him. He had been evicted, but it was, it was hot. And so we were sympathetic to it. We weren't like, oh, we don't care that he's hot. We don't care that he's um, crying. We did care about those things. And so it was stressing us out. And Jason said, well, why don't you just buy uh, another air conditioner? Which was like, well, yeah, Jason, I'd love to, but like I'm working at Starbucks right now and that's my only form of income and I'm trying to keep the church going. And um, I just don't have $200 or $100 or I don't have any extra money. I mean, we're already so behind on different things. And and he was like, well, I tell you what, we just had forced air put into our house in Milwaukee. He's like, so I've got three brand new air conditioners. Why don't we just, let's continue the meeting in the car and we'll go to my house. We'll get you an air conditioner. And I was just blown away. One, I wasn't talking to Jason about like, I need an air conditioner with any expectation that I would leave a meeting with an air conditioner. I was talking to him about things that were stressing me out, things that were bothering me, things that were maybe uh, having a part in why the relationship with the other pastor wasn't great was I was stressed out. And so uh, we drive to his house. We're having this meeting though in the car. We're still talking about things and, and, and problems and solutions. We get to his house. He opens up a closet. There's three LG um, air conditioners because Jason's bougie like that. And so brand name uh, air conditioners. He put one in the car. We drove back to Starbucks. We put it in my car and I went home and we uh, put that wall unit in and uh, it was really touching. It was really awesome that Jason had heard the need and had immediately decided that he could meet that need, that he could, that, Hey, I have an air conditioner. Let's do that. Now you and I, we love to be on the receiving end of being served, especially if you're in the room and you know, your love language is acts of service. You're like, I love being served, but it is just human nature to love to be served. And there are going to be times in your life and in my life in which we need to take more than we can give. 
And at the same time, the opposite is completely true. There will be times in your life where you're able to give more than you need to take. But regardless of what season of life that you are in right now, whether it's a season where you need a little bit more or you can give a little bit more, regardless, we're always, as followers of Jesus, called to serve other people in the ways that we can. Now, this in and of itself is challenging because our tendency, our culture sets us up to want more money. You need more money, more money in the IRA, more money in your savings account, more money in the checking account. You need more money paid per hour. You need more vacation time, right? The culture says you need more money. Well, we want a bigger house. We have only two bedrooms now. We need three bedrooms. Well, we only have one and a half bathrooms. It'd be great to have two showers. So let's have two showers. And we have these dreams. It'd be great at my house if we had forced air. So we're like, we need uh, air conditioner because summer's been so hot. We want newer cars. Our car makes a weird noise. Our car looks old. It, it rumbles. It makes this weird sound when I'm going 80 on the belt line. You know, a solution would be don't go 80 on the belt line. But hey, I know you're not going to take that advice. So... We're, our culture wants us to want more, bigger, and better all the time. And so it is what makes talking about serving, which is what we're going to talk about today, so much more challenging than the other practices we've been talking throughout the series. Now, I spoke a few weeks ago, uh, maybe you remember, you're watching or listening online, that I talked about a, a big difference to me in calling yourself a Christian versus calling yourself a follower of Jesus has big implications because the word Christian tends to imply that I agree to a set of beliefs. I agree to a set of doctrines. So I am Christian and it's very cerebral, right? It's very much in my head. I agree with this. It's orthodox. It's unorthodox. This is my flavor of Christianity. It isn't. Whereas being a follower of Jesus places the emphasis on something that we do. We're a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a studier of Jesus. And the reason I like calling us a follower of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, because it does place the burden on us to be active. Now, I'm not trying to tell you today that what you think doesn't matter. Absolutely what you think matters. What I think about the difference between being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that began as a thought, which turned into, I want to be action prone. Jesus isn't something to be studied. He is someone to be followed. I, now, this is challenging. It absolutely is challenging. Again, going back to our culture, but I love how Brandon Hatmaker writes it in his phenomenal book called Barefoot Church. Uh, Hatmaker points out, the greatest enemy to reproducing disciples is our desire to consume. More times than not, we, you and I, we do not want to be released for ministry. We'd rather someone else provide what we need and just consume it. Oh, and it'd be nice to have some hot coffee waiting there too. Well, let me break it down what Hatmaker is saying. He is saying that it would be way easier and it would be our preference if somebody else would always watch our kids at Madison Church. It'd be easier for me as a parent if I didn't have to do check-in, if I didn't have to watch the kids, if I didn't have to clean up. It'd be easier at Madison Church if everyone else played the instruments and everybody else sang and I didn't have to do that. I could just sit there. It'd be easier if somebody else ran the computer. It'd be easier if somebody else greeted. It'd be easier if somebody else set up and tear down. And, and I would just like really to show up and yeah, if there was like some hot coffee or some hot tea, that would be fantastic, right? That's kind of like our natural kind of pull. 
But this is what Hatmaker and what I believe even what Jesus points out is an issue to the faith. Yes, that is your natural tendency. I don't want you to feel ashamed or guilty about that. You look at the person in front of you, behind you, next to you. They have those same tendencies too. I have those same tendencies, but that's why we need to have a paradigm shift. And this paradigm shift is going to be fundamental um, regarding how we approach our faith. Uh, And the definition for a paradigm shift, I just thought that this would be helpful. A paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. And so I want you to have a paradigm shift when it comes to our faith, when it comes to serving, and even this idea in culture that says the higher you rise, the more power you have, the more wealth you accumulate, the more leverage that you have to get other people to serve you. That's our cultural mindset. That's our natural tendency. But what I want us to have is a paradigm shift that challenges that, that it's not about getting higher. It's not about having more power and it's not about being wealthier. And Jesus has absolutely spent his whole life challenging that. And he's going to show us in, in our study today, what it's going to take to bless the world is having a paradigm shift in terms of serving. And that paradigm shift in terms of serving can um, really be illustrated this way. Uh, we have to think less, I need a crown and more, I need an apron. So we need to move from, I need a crown to, I need an apron. But before we dive more into that, let's just recap where we've been. We've been in a series called How to Bless Your Neighbor, which is all about our mission at Madison Church. And that is to connect people with God and each other. True story online. I always cut out the blurb, the little space a time it takes for someone to answer. Cause I, I want the online folks to think that we've just got it straight in here. They're just like, wow, they just know. No, they don't know. And this mission isn't just something that happens at Madison church on Sunday nights from five to 6 PM. This mission is something that happens every single day. And it's not just a church's mission. The church is a body of believers. It's your mission. It's my mission. It's our collective mission. Wherever you go to work tomorrow, whatever your vocation is or isn't, you have an opportunity to connect people with God and each other. There's a reason that you've been sent to Madison in 2021. God has something for you. God has people and places in mind all around you for you to bless. You are sent on a mission and Madison is your mission field. But too often, what do we do? We go back to our natural tendency, kind of complacency, and we just hope that people find out about our church or hope that they find out about God, hope that they find faith. We hope they look us up on Google. We hope that they find us on Facebook. We hope they listen to the podcast and we hope that through all of those things, they connect with God. But this series is challenging that and saying it's going to take more than just that. It's going to take you and I equipping and challenging one another to go from hoping to helping people find God. And BLESS is this acronym for five missional practices. And we've talked about beginning with prayer. We've talked about listening last week. We talked and we ate. And today we're going to talk about serving. And we're going to spend all the rest of our time together in John 13. If you want to follow along with us on your phone or in the Bible, um, we're going to John 13. And we're going to just start with verse 1. We'll also have the words on the screen, um, but sometimes that gives out on us. So always a good idea to use a house Bible or have your own. But we're going to John 13, where we see this quite an an amazing scene in which Jesus is going to challenge the crown versus the apron mentality. So beginning with uh, verse one in John 13, and I'm reading out of the message. Just before the Passover feast, 
Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right up to the end. And it was supper time. The devil by now had Judas firmly in his grip, all set for betrayal. Jesus knew that the father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. And this is where we got to really try to understand the magnitude of what John is recording and telling us about Jesus. You see, one, there is no one higher than Jesus. There is no one who had more power or has more power than Jesus. There is no one who had more wealth than Jesus because everything on earth is Jesus. It's everything is his. Jesus knew his position. He knew he had been sent by the father. He knew he was going back to the father. And yet he places not a crown on his head, but he puts on an apron. The one who sits at the highest stoops down to serve the lowest. Now washing feet in that society and in that culture was very much a had to do. And that was usually left up to the lowest servant in the house because it was a dirty, grimy job that nobody else would want to do. And let me explain why. In the first century, there were no toenail clippers. You just kind of sand or chew off them bad boys. There were no pedicures. There were no socks. There were no shoes. You had, you know, sandals. But then you were walking around on roads that were dirty, dusty, muddy. And can I point out that these were the same roads that were traveled by animals such as donkeys, mules, and horses. And if you ever have been around those types of animals, they don't go to the restroom. They don't hold it until there's a good time to go somewhere else and relieve themselves. No, a horse would just be walking down the street. And if a horse has to go, a horse has to go. And so if you're a first century, you're living there and you're walking around in your little sandals and you step in a puddle, it could be water. It could be mud. It could be something that came from the inside of a horse. And so then when you come to sit down and have something to eat, you would sit down crisscross applesauce style around the table, which meant you would have the food and your feet at the same level. And you'd be sitting arm to arm with someone. So yes, washing feet before a meal was a very big deal in that society, but it was also a dirty job that nobody wanted to do. Can you imagine just being there that night? You walk in, there's no servants. It's just you, the other disciples and Jesus. And you realize that something has to happen. Somebody has to wash feet before we can sit down and eat. Just imagine being in that situation. I was thinking that like, I would uh, pretend not to notice the dirty feet. I'd be like, oh, I got to check my phone here for a second and just hope that somebody else makes eye contact with Jesus so that he's like, oh, you, you want to do this? You want to wash the feet, right? Um, I could act really, really tired. Sorry, Jesus, I have a headache. I just can't do it. You know, my back hurts. I just didn't sleep well last night. Um, I would definitely would not look at Jesus the rest of the time though. I just not, no eye contact contact, you know, whatsoever. But the scenario actually gets more awkward as all the disciples are probably doing something like that, looking down and just not wanting to wash feet. It gets more awkward when Jesus takes off his robe and he puts on the apron and he starts going around washing feet. 
And the reason it's more awkward is that they've been following Jesus around for years now, and they've seen him do some wild miracles. They've seen some crazy, unbelievable things happen. They absolutely and have proclaimed that they believe he is God incarnate. And yet, then in this moment, God decides to wash their feet. It wasn't just the grossness of the task that left them stunned. It was also shame. They were ashamed that this son of God would be washing their dirty feet. And they were ashamed for Jesus that he would be washing their dirty feet. Their culture was all about shame and honor protecting your name, protecting your reputation, protecting your dignity. It was all of critical importance. And this was a job for the lowest of servants, not the highest of kings. And yet Jesus washes feet until they get to Peter or until Jesus gets to Peter in which uh, Peter responds to Jesus this way. John 13 verse six, when he, Jesus got to Simon, Peter, Peter said, master, you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, You do not understand now what I am doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. And Peter persisted. You're not going to wash my feet ever. Now just think again in your own life in 2021, imagine someone with a ton of wealth, a ton of status, a ton of fame coming over and being your dinner guest. I don't know who that would be. For me, it'd be Taylor Swift. You know, just one night Taylor's just, she's in Madison, Wisconsin. And she's like, you know, I'm going to go to Allegheny drive, hang out with my friend, Steven. And she knocks on the door and I'm like, Taylor, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Ignore the two holes in the wall. You check out the backyard. It's really getting cleaned up. You know, I go through that whole spiel and, um, And then at some point, like Taylor kind of just walks away and I'm excited. And I'm telling Megan, you got to go out to the grocery store. Just, you know, just to get, we got to get wine and uh, good snacks and uh, probably some air spray or something. And, and so Megan, you know, she leaves and I, you know, I'm kind of trying to fix my hair now because I'm, I'm alone with Taylor and um, I haven't thought about this at all. And, uh, but then I can't find Taylor and I'm like, what's Taylor doing? And i come to find out she's in my bathroom. She's scrubbing the toilet for me. I would be horrified. I'd be like, what are you doing? No, like sit on the couch, watch TV. Can I get you something to drink? But this is the scenario in which was what's going on. Somebody with all of this status and power is doing what we would consider to be a very gross and dirty job. Something that we would just do ourselves or something that we would rather not do until we absolutely had to do. We would be horrified if Jesus came in and started cleaning our toilet the same way that these disciples were horrified that Jesus was cleaning their feet, which is why Peter said, absolutely not. You will never, ever touch my feet. Well, Jesus responds to Peter. He says, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. And we got to love Peter's enthusiasm here because he's like, first he's like, no, 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 Jesus, you're, you're too important to ever wash my feet. And, And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet. In which Peter replies, replies, master, not only my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash it all. Give me a bath. He goes to the complete other side of the extreme here. Uh, Peter didn't realize what Jesus was doing, but because you and I know how the story goes in which Jesus is going to die on a cross and be resurrected, we can understand that in this time, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples one last lesson. And the lesson that he's trying to teach his disciples is that we need to lay aside our crowns or the perceived crowns or the crowns that we're trying to get 
and put on an apron. You see, because Jesus rejected the crown and he put on an apron, he received the cross. And on the cross, he took the full weight of our shame and he washed us once and for all with his grace so that we can have a clean eternity. He restored us into right relationship with God. But before his death, before his resurrection, Jesus washes feet. And it wasn't just a kind gesture. It was a paradigm shift that he wanted his followers, his disciples then and now to have. We can keep reading in verse 12. Jesus said, do you understand what I have done to you? Just talking to all of his disciples. You address me as teacher and master and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and the teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Now this is simple in theory. We can read the story and say, yes, I'm supposed to serve just like Jesus served. No matter what I do Monday through Friday, I'm supposed to be just like Jesus, but it is very challenging to actually do and practice. We are to serve others in the way that Jesus has served us. And it is about turning aside our own crowns and putting on an apron. We have to challenge that it, the higher we rise, the more power we have, the more wealth we accumulate, the more leverage we have. We have to dismiss that altogether. It's not true. And in Matthew, Jesus rejects it. Jesus says, among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among, among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you and I are going to carry out the mission of Jesus in Madison, if we really believe that we are his followers placed in Madison at this time and place for a specific reason, then you have to think about the people who have been on your mind the last few weeks and you cannot reach them without serving them. Hopefully by now you've already began praying for them and you're praying for these people that God does things in their lives. And hopefully you've started to listen to them as we talked about the importance of listening and conversation. And then last week we challenged you. We said, please have a meal with that person, with someone, share a meal. But once you have done those things, I want you to begin to ask, how can I serve them? And that should become readily apparent. There are ways that God can use you to meet practical, emotional, relational, and even spiritual needs of the people that he has placed in your life. It's about being, having a posture of readiness. It's about being like Jason on that day. We didn't plan to meet at 2.30 to get an air conditioner. We met at 2.30 to talk about life and to hang out and to be with one another. But he had a posture of readiness, which said, Stephen needs an air conditioner. I have an air conditioner. I don't need to pray to God and say, God, do you want me to give one of the three air conditioners I'm not using to Stephen so that he can use it, Right. And we've been guilty of this. I think we've all been guilty of this where there's something that we don't want to do, that we could do, that we know that we should do. And instead of just doing it, we Jesus juke 
and we get really religious about it. We say, well, I've got to pray about it first. And we're really hoping that God throws us a line here. Like, God, please give me a creative way out of this. When we know that deep down what Jesus wants to do. And so then the question becomes for you and I, as we consider this, as we consider those people in our, in our lives that we are supposed to bless, are you wearing a crown or are you ready to put an apron on? Are you ready to put this down and put this on? If the person is your spouse, your roommate, or a close friend, in those relationships, are you wearing a crown? And are you expecting to be served? Or are you wearing an apron? And are you ready to serve? If that person is a neighbor, a teacher, a coworker, are you wearing the crown? Or are you wearing the apron? And if this is a person at your office, your school, your local gym, are you wearing the apron ready to serve? Or are you putting on the crown and saying, I want to be served because as followers of Jesus, there really isn't a choice. The crown has never been an option for us. Jesus himself didn't put on the crown while he was here on earth. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to follow in Jesus's example. And so I want to challenge you this week to put on the apron. Pray to God to give you the opportunities and the wisdom to serve those around you, to serve those that God has called you and brought you to Madison to bless. Let's move beyond hoping that people will connect with God, that they'll find us on Google and let's be the bright light. Let's be the sent ones. As Jesus said, you've seen what I have done. Now you go and do it. Now, why, why did Jesus do all that? And let's end with this part. Why did Jesus do all of these things? Well, we read about it in John 13, verse one. It's how John began the story. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. Jesus was motivated by love. That's why he turned down the crown and put on the apron. And we are to love as Jesus loved with just hours left to live. What did Jesus do? He stooped low before the disciples. The highest of kings served the lowest of servants. And that's how Jesus ends his earthly ministry here on earth. And that's what has been changing lives for 2000 years is this great love by God and his willingness to serve. So may you and I press against our culture's demand to have newer, better, and bigger. May we reject what culture is trying to tell us to put on a crown. And may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and put on an apron and serve those around us. Let's pray.